Well, again, my name is Kyle, uh, and I'm excited to just bring the word to you this morning. So happy Father's Day to you fathers out there. Uh, I know this is a fun day of either, you know, going and picking either a place to eat, grilling out. I don't know what the day uh, entails for you as fathers, but I hope that it's a good one. Um, I also want to acknowledge this. Uh, you know, we have a, a range of people here. Uh, and, you know, with Mother's Day, we said this, and Father's Day as well. Uh, sometimes this evokes pain. And, and, and sometimes Father's Day is not a pleasant day. And I just want to acknowledge that as well. And thank you for coming uh, this morning. I'm just going to be honest with you, and this is not a fun day for me. Uh, I lost my father this last March, and this is not a fun day, you know? Um, normally, every Father's Day, I'd give him a call, tease him, you know, do the things that we... I loved um, teasing my dad, and it was always fun, so I, I would normally this afternoon give him a call, and so I understand if, if this is a tough day for you, it's, it's not fun. Uh, when you've lost a loved one. And maybe there's you haven't had a father. This is a hard day when we acknowledge fathers. So I just wanted to step into that space a little bit and say that we know that as well. Um, so thank you for coming this morning. As we dig into the Word this morning, we're in John chapter 12. So I invite you to grab your uh, Bibles uh, or pew Bibles in front of you. We're going to look at John chapter 12, the first 11 uh, verses this morning. So if you would grab your Bible and stand with me as we read, if you're able to stand, the, the first 11 verses of John chapter 12 this morning. It says this, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus, who was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead so, uh, there. So they gave a dinner for him Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment uh, made um, from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? And given to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made a plan to put Lazarus to death because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Father, I, I don't know where our paths have taken us this morning, but you have brought us here. Father, allow uh, these words of John to uh, either breathe life into us, convict us, however you feel your Holy Spirit would work this morning, I pray you would. 
Allow us to hear your voice. Allow us to sense your spirit, Father. Thank you for who you are and what you mean to us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat. So as we look at this text, as we continue this journey through John, uh, I love the journey we've been on as a church. It's been so fun to be challenged together. I've heard a lot of us, you know, just as we dig into the Word, have been convicted, challenged. And this morning is no different. As I looked at this text, it is a challenge for what the passage is telling us. So if you don't know me, I have a little bit of an ADD problem, attention deficit. I get distracted easily. So I love outlines because it keeps me focused. So I have an outline for you this morning. I'm going to throw it up there. If you're taking notes, you can just write these four points down. But we're going to talk about gratitude, giving, greed, and then going. So that's kind of our outline this morning as uh, as we journey along with John this morning. I also like just the, I like to think in process, what are the G words? So uh, it was kind of fun to think about that. So, um, but in this passage, we kind of see a bookend. Uh, okay, so if you look at what is happening before we get to John 12, and right after there's a, there's a bookend of, of this background of a, what's coming up, what's coming to the surface, what's happening on the scene of, of some tension. Not really tension, but very tumultuous scene of how they're going to uh, hunt for Jesus, seek after him, because what he's doing is, is really um, is dangerous to the religious leaders. And what he's doing, they do not like, so they want to put him to death. And we see that before the, the couple verses before, and we see this after. So we kind of have these bookends of, of the scene of what is happening for Jesus. And it's interesting what happens and how they, what, what happens in this text where they go to, because it's a heated scene as we look at Jerusalem here and what was happening. But the first two verses in gratitude kind of set the scene of what's happening. So let's just kind of do a who, what, where, why, how in this little background of this first couple verses, verse 1 and 2. And it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had raised from the dead. And so they gave a dinner to them there. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. So we see a couple different characters here in this text uh, who were at this dinner. So Simon the leper was there. Lazarus, Jesus, Mary, Martha, and the disciples. So if we add all those up, if we look at the numbers, there's about 17 people that are in this house in attendance. All the disciples we think are there because in Matthew 26... Uh, the parallel text to this. In verse 8, it says, when the disciples saw it, so they, they're using disciples here, plural, meaning most of the disciples, all the disciples were there. That gets us to 17, if you're doing the math of all that. So we know the 17 were there. There might be more. Uh, we're not sure who else was there, but at least there are 17 in this house. That's quite a bit. You know, the houses weren't big, so that's quite a bit for a dinner that they're having what was the event? What was happening? Obviously, this was a meal at Simon's house to honor Lazarus. So last week, Andrew preached through Jesus raised from the dead, 
Lazarus, his friend. And this was miraculous. This was an amazing event because if you back up and you look at the storyline, he had waited for Lazarus, fully dead, fully in the tomb. And then he went and cried out, Lazarus, come out. It was a miraculous event. So here we see this celebration. Lazarus is there. They're celebrating what Jesus has done. So Simon puts on this meal at this house, we think, with uh, all this food. And again, like I said before, there's two texts that kind of run parallel to this. Uh, Matthew 26, 6 through 13, and Mark 14, 3 through 9. In those, uh, it tells us that it was at Simon's house, uh, Simon the leper. So Mark 14, 3, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, Matthew 26, 6, now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. So there, again, I love to do some digging. And so you kind of will sense this morning, I love to do research and kind of get a good uh, understanding of the text. And so from those, we, we pull in, okay, this is Simon the leper. That's pretty cool. Okay, let's kind of take that fact, put it to the side for a second, because I want to come back to that. So it's also um, said that it could be a family connection here. We're not quite sure. The text does not say specifically, but if we're looking at all the facts, it could possibly be when I was reading the, the commentaries that, um, that Simon could have been the father of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. We're not sure, but some sort of relation there because it was at his house and they were serving, maybe an uncle. But that's kind of the interesting fact of, of Simon here is maybe there was a family connection. And another interesting fact about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus is what Andrew pulled up a couple weeks ago last week in that they found uh, in 1873, they discovered the tomb near Bethany with the remains of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. So we have found the remains and there is a family and this all happened. And so it's really cool to kind of piece it all together, what is happening in this story as we continue the dialogue here in chapter 12. Well, they lived in Bethany. So this is happening in the town of Bethany, a small town, really close to Jerusalem. And this is Jerusalem is where Passover would have been celebrated. So Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem. And I was like, well, what is two miles? Some of you are runners, you know, two miles in, in great, uh, you understand that. I'm not a runner, so what is two miles to me? I go where I can go to food. So Chick-fil-A. Uh, from here to Chick-fil-A is approximately 1.7 miles. So uh, if you go to Target of Knollwood, that's a little over two miles. So if you're in walking distance, here to Bethany, Jerusalem to Bethany was about that distance. So it gives us a good idea visually of how close Bethany was to Jerusalem. Uh, and I have a picture, a map uh, of this as well. So it's really close as we look at like where uh, Bethany was and kind of going into the journey of the Mount Olives right into Jerusalem. And I think uh, it's kind of this bedroom community of Jerusalem. That's the center. That's the epicenter. That's where everything is happening. And so we have this bedroom community 
And the timing of it is very interesting. It says six days before the Passover. So what does this actually mean for us? And what does this mean for the Jews? So as I was digging in and kind of trying to understand a little bit more of the context, you know, at Passover, each Jewish man would have to bring a lamb to Jerusalem to be sacrificed in offering or place for their sin. That's kind of what would happen. So you'd be seeing a bunch of people journeying to Jerusalem uh, at the time of Passover with their uh, offerings, their lambs for sacrifice. So there's a lot of hustle and bustle. Um, But interestingly, if you actually have touched or been, I think, touched physically a dead body, you had to purify yourself. You could not take part of Passover. So what happens was seven days before was a purification process. And a lot of times that happened outside of the city of Jerusalem. So there would be a lot of Jews, if that had happened, would be in the purification process so they could participate in the Passover. So this was probably a time where there was a great gathering surrounding around Jerusalem and Bethany for um, the Passover coming up in six days. I think it's very ironic but more prophetic that Jesus travels to Bethany here. And what we see in the text is even more prophetic of what is going to happen in a few days with Jesus and what it means to us. So now we have a meal. So if we go into that house, there's a meal. It's set for all the disciples, for Jesus, celebrating again, like I said, what Lazarus has done. We see Martha here. Martha is busy. She is serving. And we know she's got a huge gift of behind-the-scenes service. Okay? So... It's interesting with Martha, if we could look at her for a second, if we go back to the Luke 10 account, and uh, I think um, uh, that was preached on a couple weeks ago uh, with Vashek. He preached on Luke 10. Interesting there that Jesus called out Martha's uh, anxious and worried state. So we kind of see Martha here scrambling about in Luke 10, kind of being in a worried and anxious state. We come back to this storyline, there's nothing mentioned about that. We see no mention of her state, only that she was there serving. So the commentaries I read showed something had switched in Martha's heart. And I fully believe what happened was she took Jesus' words to heart and she saw Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and her heart was truly changed. And in that moment, in the dinner time, she was worshiping God by serving joyfully, out of gracious and joyful heart. It's just this beautiful thing that we see now in this text. So they're reclining at the table, and it's not like us, if you're going to Father's Day meal, um, kind of sitting at a table. The reclining was different. Uh, I have a couple pictures that were shown. It's kind of like you see here. They, they kind of lay with an arm on, and they are reaching over. And the picture down on the bottom right is interesting to me because it's a painting that was found in the late 300s AD uh, and discovered in 1988 in the Roman city of Constantinople. Constanta, sorry, probably said that wrong. It shows five Roman-clad togad 
uh, Romanized guys, men reclining around a table with food on it. Uh, the man in the extreme right with his back was probably the dead man who was depicted in the tomb eating and drinking with his best friends as he obviously loved to do when he was alive. So this was discovered. This says this is the way that they ate meals back in that time. So we know they reclined at the table. Uh, again, interesting just kind of piecing it together. What did this look like in together as we look at the text? What was this meal? This meal was bold and it was brave. This meal was very much a, a, a proclamation of who Jesus is. Because again, if we look at the bookends here, there is a mark out on Jesus's life. Jesus knew that. And he was going directly into the line of fire. And he knew he was going to go to Jerusalem. He knew all of this. And they went directly into right next to um, where he would be crucified, where the Passover was taking place. He was a wanted man. I just love this meal. I love the setting. I love what's happening. And my mind goes to like, I don't know, you ever think about, what was that like? You ever think about, okay, we have this meal. Jesus was there. Lazarus was there. Simon the leper was there who was healed. We have uh, Mary and Martha. We have all the disciples. We have Judas there. We have all these cast of characters. What was the conversation? We don't, we don't have uh, details of a lot of the conversation, but I, I kind of was like, is it, did it go kind of like, whoa, you know, like Simon the leper talking about how Jesus healed him and like, whoa, I got like all of a sudden these, these appendages started coming back to life and like I just could walk and like all this because lepers, it was, they were in bad shape. And so just talking about Simon and then, and then Lazarus is like, bro, yo, I died. Like, come on. Like, like what was that conversation like there in that room? Like more probably about Jesus, obviously, but like, all of this miracles and sitting with Jesus, just that moment, that holy saturation had to be amazing in that moment, thinking about what was going on in the context of where they were at. They knew the danger. This is so cool to think about them worshiping Jesus, putting on the supper for him. So, how is that different from this morning? Let me just have you ponder that for a second. If they're there worshiping Jesus in this moment, thinking about how lives are transformed and changed, how does that posture differ from us, from me this morning? How did you walk in the door this morning of the church? I'm just asking these questions just to, to dig a little deeper into Jesus's impact on our lives. Because we see it rich in this text, right? Let me just allow you to ponder that for a few minutes. The second point is, is this beautiful scenery of what Mary did. A really beautiful act of worship where she takes this expensive uh, oil and, and just anoints the feet of Jesus. Uh, we see here this, this oil was, was more of an oil of a, a burial spice or fragrance that was used uh, to cover kind of the smell of a decaying body. So it was very fragrant. 
and it's they say it's um, uh, nard or spike nard. The Greek says nardos pescare. Uh, I, I don't know how to say that correctly, but I think that's in the, the realm of it. So it's this spike nard um, that she used. Mo, it was imported from another country. So there's, there's a cost of importing it. Um, it's, it's kind of rare. It's expensive. And so it cost 300 denarii, which is, we hear in the text, is a year's worth of salary. And that again hit me too. Like, here is a piece of, of something that cost a year's worth of wages that was used for one meal, one time for Jesus. I'm like, that is an amazing way to think about just what we have is all for Jesus. 300 denarii. It's also said it's a Roman pound. And if you look at what a Roman pound, it's 11 to 12 ounces. So I have an example of what about a 12 ounce is. It's a can. Um, this is all that, that was anointed on Jesus' feet was basically in a 12 ounce can, a Roman pound worth a year's worth of wages. Um, yes, I do love Spindrift, so <laughs> brought that up here. Um, not a product placement, uh, but I just had that. So it's just interesting to think about it wasn't that, that big of uh, ointment. It was a lot, but that's what she used. So again, if the, we look at the storyline, um, her posture is interesting to look at what happened. She got on her knees, got down. Obviously, they're reclining, so it probably was easier to get to Jesus' feet um, as they were reclining. But she got down on her knees, let her hair down, and anointed his feet with her hair, wiping it. And like just this beautiful, beautiful thing she was doing. And just the symbolic nature of letting her hair down is interesting as I looked at it. Um, it indicates uh, a symbolism of women's glory. So in that time, hair was a cultural symbol of a woman's glory. Uh, so she basically was lavishing her Jesus' feet with her glory in that time frame. Um, and so... Uh, a lot of times, uh, oil was used to anoint the head, like the, the, they poured oil on the head. And we see here, she's anointing his feet with oil. So the question is, well, why the feet and not the head? Maybe she did anoint his head, but we look at the text and it talks about the feet. So I love Craig Keener and his commentary because he's a smart man that knows a lot more than me. So I, I go to what he said here, and it's interesting, as, as I read this, it says, uh, it was common to anoint the heads of important guests, but for their feet, a host would normally simply provide water. Expending such expensive perfume on feet was shocking. And she treats even Jesus' feet worthier than a normal head. So again, all of these things that we see in the text indicate this, the importance and the amazing posture of who Jesus is. She gets it. She understands this. 
She is worshiping her Savior in that moment out of gratitude, I think, obviously for Lazarus, but I believe more so in an understanding of who he is and what he's going to do. So this whole house was filled with the fragrance. We see that. And I think that's interesting too. As I thought, thought about this, the little extra caveat is if it's on her hair, as I read, one of the commenta- commentators said she would have probably helped Mary at some point with the food or whatever, so she would have walked around the house. Well, if it's on your hair, it would have the fragrance would have went throughout the whole house. I just think that is so cool how we have this aroma of worship that fills the whole house. And it is this idea of the sweet aroma as an act of worship. We see it in the Old Testament. If you look at Leviticus and kind of walk through the first couple chapters, it talks about the sweet aroma to the Lord. Leviticus 1.3, 2.12, 3.16, and 6.15. But let me point your attention to Ephesians 5.2. Ephesians 5.2, write that down if you're taking notes because it says this, and walk in love, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Isn't that beautiful? The symbolism and the imagery and everything happening here Paul alludes to what Christ has done for us. So this was a demonstration by Mary that Christ would do for us. It's a demonstration. Now, in this text, we have this beautiful imagery, worship of Jesus, and it gets brutally interrupted by Judas. (laughs) the antagonist. We know Judas, but here he kind of pipes up in verses four through six, and we see his greed popping up. In verse four, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who he was about to betray him, the text clearly says what was going to happen, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? I kind of go into my mean voice there, sorry. Uh, (laughs) He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, and he used to help himself to what was put into it. So the text clearly helps us see Judas's intention, Judas's uh, heart. And so this is a less, less than a week away from what would happen with Judas in the garden with the betrayal of Jesus. Jesus knew that. He knew what was going to happen, and he kind of calls out Judas here. Um, it's interesting, he calls him out in John 6, too. If you look at John 6, verse 70 and 71, it says, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of the Judas, the son of Simon the Iscariot, for he, was the twelve, was going to betray him. So Jesus knew. Jesus knew the storyline. He knew Jesus. He knew Judas in his heart and what was happening here. Uh, Judas was the appointed treasurer, and so he was the money handler, and he pocketed money. Whenever they had money come in, Judas was putting a little in his pocket. That's what the, it says here in the text. He was greedy. And he, so he was upset 
that Mary used this expensive ointment that could have gone into his pocket. Now he used, the commentators say, he used the illusion of, oh, we should be giving to the poor as, hey, let's do some ministry with this. What are we doing here? Uh, so he obviously didn't want to call out his greediness, but he didn't want it being used. He wanted it sold and the money to go into the collective bag so he could, again, take out and put in his pocket. And I think about that. The thing here is, is um, sometimes our words and actions reveal our true heart. If we look at Judas, his words and actions do reveal his heart. Sometimes people can look like devout followers. I'm just saying, it just sometimes looks aren't always at the heart of it. Okay, and we see that with Judas. Um, just gonna let that let it be there. And then verse seven and eight, going. Because uh, Jesus, I was trying to think of a G word here. <laughs> like, Jesus is going. Oh, perfect. Um, so I know I'm stretching it a little bit, but thanks for going with me on this. Uh, Jesus is going here only for a short while. He's going to leave. Uh, you do not always have me. I'm here for a short time. I'm going to go. He knows the destination. He knows what he has to do. And Jesus rebukes Judas and says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. What she is doing is beautiful. What she is doing is meant to happen. What she is doing is beautiful because she's worshiping me and the sacrifice that I will do that will change all of eternity. It's interesting. 2,000 years, over 2,000 years later, we are reading this text. We are reading a story about a humble servant behind the scenes tried to quietly anoint the feet of Jesus. We are reading that 2,000 years later. It's a big deal. Mark 14, 9 and Matthew 26, 13 say this. And truly in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So this story is a story to remember for her sacrifice, for her act of worship, and it's a big deal prophetically what's going to happen. So let me wrap this up this morning as we conclude here. I just kind of think of our heart postures. How do we apply this? How do we take all of this in and, and kind of look at it as far as our life? So again, <laughs> okay, we have the Fs here. <laughs> um, some heart postures. There was fancy, like the extravagance, the, the giving everything to God posture done by Mary. There's the no frills behind the scenes. Martha and Mary as well. It's kind of just simple. There's the fakeness of Judas. And there's also, I think, a flourishing of that dinner and flourishing in the fact that they love Jesus and they were flourishing in their faith. And I think we can flourish and, and just have an abundance of life in Jesus. And I also want a little asterisk here. And there may be some here this morning that 
you know what, Kyle? I'm still feeling this thing out. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna put my cards on the table. I'm just, I'm just still trying to figure this thing out. I don't know about Jesus. And I wanna just say thank you. Thank you for coming, and it's okay. Because Jesus loves you and he died for you. And it's okay. He is going to chase after you. And my prayer is you will come to know and love him. So thank you for coming this morning if you are just kind of feeling it out. So as we wrap it up, where is your heart condition? What does this text do for us? How can we take this in our own life, in our own worship? Um, that's the question. And I had a whole closing section. Um, God does what he wants. And um, I was preparing this morning at a coffee shop, kind of thinking about how do I wrap this up? And uh, there's a beautiful song that I didn't talk to staff about. We're going to sing it for communion. And I thought, man, I should talk about this. So this song... About a week before my dad died, he loved Jesus. And we talked about, Dad, what's, what's some of your favorite songs? And uh, I said, one of my, my favorite songs is The Love of God. I said, oh, Dad, that's awesome. And um, there's a beautiful rendition of it that we sing. Um, and the song was actually written by Frederick Lehman in 1917. The words are absolutely beautiful. And a, a group called The Worship Initiative redid it in 2021. What we sing in our church, Ben has done a beautiful job of, uh, I just love our worship. And I actually walked in this morning and, and the worship team was practicing this. So I, I don't know, God is good. But the, the words, the words are so beautiful in this text of like, what is the love of God and how does it impact us? So let me just read it for you. And as we go to communion this morning, I don't know. I just pray that this would impact your heart as you go before the Lord. So my dad loved this because he loved Jesus. And... Um, Our life is not, our life is temporary. And I love the fact that my dad is experiencing this in greater joy now. And so it says, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care God gave his son to win. His erring child reconciled and pardoned from his sin. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Could we with ink the ocean fill and skies of parchment made? 
were every tree on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Wow. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole through stretched from sky to sky. Would you bow with me as we pray and go to communion and worship our Lord through that? And as we go to communion, as always, as you feel comfortable, come to the communion. Um, We have it here and in the back. Uh, Take it during this song, and then I'll close us after we uh, partake communion together. God, thank you for this text, for the illustration that Mary has given to us, for the storyline of these disciples. God, your word is rich and true, and your love for us is immense. Father, you are working, you are living, you are active. My prayer this morning is that our lives would be ever so changed because of this gift. So help us this morning, come now to you in full worship with all that we have, giving our lives to you. Amen.